Welcome to Becoming Multiplanetary, one of the three podcasts from Total Space Network. Thank you for joining us. So today, we will be wrapping up our three-part series about space tourism in the near future. But before we begin, allow us to introduce ourselves. I am Kage, one of the co-hosts of Becoming Multiplanetary, and with me today are... Hi, my name is Rich LB. I'm also a co-host here on Becoming Multiplanetary, and with us today we also have... Hi, I'm Mikko, the host of Deep Dive Fridays. And, as Miko said, he joins us from another one of our recurring podcasts, Deep Dive, which goes into great detail about a lot of space topics every Friday. At Total Space, we also have the Space Update, where Ryan goes into detail about current space events every Wednesday. You can find all of our shows on our new website at totalspace.net and on YouTube at Total Space. Be sure to give them a listen, and please like, share, and subscribe if you like what you're hearing. So, as mentioned earlier, today we will be wrapping up our three-part series about space tourism in the near future. First, let's do a quick recap about what is space tourism and go into a quick overview about what we talked about in our first two episodes. In the first episode, we discussed Blue Origin, and in the second, we discussed Virgin Galactic. If you've already listened to the first two episodes, first, thank you for listening, but also the next few minutes may sound a bit familiar. So, from our first episode, we talked about a couple of important topics, that there are the, well, I call them the three threes. So, there are currently three kinds of space tourism, suborbital, orbital, and lunar. As described in the first episode, they're pretty self-explanatory, but in short, suborbital is typically just like a straight shot up and down. Orbital will circle the Earth a few times, and lunar, you can kind of guess where that goes. Although, right now, it's not really known if there are any particular plans for landing tourists on the moon or just having them slingshot around it. Although, uh, right now, it kind of looks like they'll at least circle the moon, maybe once or more. But... In the not-too-distant future, that could change, and we might actually have private citizens stepping foot on the moon. As also part of this quick recap, there are launch providers and brokers. And they're kind of like travel agents are for vacation planning, uh, setting up your flights and your hotel and stuff like that. But in this case, they actually set up the sales and chartering of uh, flights with those uh, launch providers. Right now, there are three main orbital brokers, and the keyword there, orbital, and those are Space Adventures, Axiom Space, and again, also Virgin Galactic. Virgin Galactic doesn't actually provide an orbital launch service, so they seek to broker that for the launch providers that do. Space Adventures was previously the broker for Roscosmos, which was, at one point, the exclusive uh, way to get into space for uh, private tourism. But... They are now also the broker, one of the two brokers that has signed up for space tourism deals uh, recently announced by SpaceX. The other broker is Axiom Space, which is also the broker behind Tom Cruise going to the International Space Station to film scenes for a future Mission Impossible movie. And we discussed that in our first episode. That's pretty wild. <laughs> I, I still don't know what to make of that, but cool, I guess. <laughs> To date, only orbital space tourism has been done, provided almost exclusively by Roscosmos' Soyuz and brokered by Space Adventures. 
In total, between 2001 and 2009, seven space tourists have been on eight space flights aboard Roscosmos Soyuz to the International Space Station, the first of which being Dennis Tito, an entrepreneur, in 2001 aboard Soyuz Flight TM-32, but he returned aboard TM-31. There are also others like Mark Shuttleworth, founder and CEO of Canonical, the makers of Ubuntu Linux, Gregory Olson, and Sosha Ansari, Charles Simonyi, Richard Garriott, and Guy Laliberta. But there are also a couple of others that have flown aboard the space shuttle, if I remember correctly. Is that is that right, Miko? I would have to check that. I mean, there was the teacher who died in the accident. True. And there was also, I think his name was Lance Bass. He had hoped to fly from Kazakhstan on October 28th, 2002, I believe, and was ultimately not able to do so because they failed to raise the funds for it. He was being sponsored by a uh, by a few corporate sponsors as part of a seven-part television documentary. And since it's Kazakhstan, that would have been with Soyuz. Correct, yeah. So that's a quick recap about the launch providers and brokers. So to recap from the first episode, we talked about Blue Origin. So Blue Origin has the New Shepard rocket and also the, I suppose it's just the New Shepard capsule. They, I haven't seen anywhere where they've named the capsule anything in particular. Um, so the Blue Origin uh, rocket has actually just recently, as recently as January 14th, 2021, launched its 14th successful test of the uh, New Shepard rocket. That was actually a brand new rocket, um, NS-4, I believe. And their previous rocket, NS-3, was uh, has completed, I believe, seven successful test flights. Blue Origin New Shepard may cost somewhere around 250000 US dollars for each individual seat aboard New Shepard. That's actually the current stated cost of Virgin Galactic seats. However, Jeff Bezos, the founder of Blue Origin, said that he expects that the price flights will be comparable to competitors. In this case, it seems like he's talking about Virgin Galactic. To date, Blue Origin has had 14 successful missions, although there have not been any human passengers aboard the New Shepard rocket, unless you want to count Mannequin Skywalker, which... Greatest name ever. I love that. However, even though they haven't yet flown any human passengers, the Blue Origin CEO, Bob Smith, has earlier in 2020 stated that they will need to fly maybe three or four more test flights before they're ready to put people on board. Since at that time there had only been uh, 12 missions flown before that, and now they're at 14 successful missions, they may need only one or two more flights before they may feel ready to actually put passengers on board. So it's entirely possible that that could happen sometime in 2021. So that's a quick recap on Blue Origin, and next I'll hand over to Rich to give a quick recap on Virgin Galactic. Rich? And here I am with a quick recap on Virgin Galactic. In the episode of Virgin Galactic, we spoke about the VSS Unity uh, spaceships and the White Knight 2s. Sorry, the Spaceship 2s and the White Knight 2s. 
And we went over a few keynotes on Virgin Galactic itself. Now, when we talk about the Virgin group as a whole, man, these guys are resilient. Like, they've taken a kick in and kept going uh, when it comes to just general uh, growth and progress within the company. So, Virgin Galactic, uh, they achieved their first suborbital space flight on 13th of December, 2018 with the VSS Unity VP03. Prior to this, it, there was a lot of scrutiny on Virgin Galactic because there was a serious in-flight crash on October 2014 when uh, there was a late deployment, uh, sorry, not a late deployment, an early deployment of the uh, air brake, which resulted in the craft breaking up. So, because of this, there was a lot of scrutiny on Virgin Galactic uh, and on their craft and their training regimes after that, so progress was slow considerably up until the 13th of December 2018 when they had their first suborbital space flight. And elsewhere, we in the Virgin group, we actually touched a little bit on uh, Virgin Orbit's recent success with Cosmic Girl getting to launch a one into space, which was actually really amazing to see and uh props to uh you know virgin orbit for the team at virgin orbit for that that was that was a heck of an achievement indeed and especially the uh starting wiggle 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 of the uh of the rocket <laughs> the oscillation i think they're gonna take data from that and try and figure out what was going on with that oscillation um i think they've got issues within the engine housing causing that i think that would be the only reason why you would have something like that. Uh, I don't know. Did the launch Miko? I don't suppose you know if the launcher one had an RCS system to compensate for this. Did you? I didn't see any RCS posts, so I don't think they had. Yeah, I couldn't see any either. But maybe a simple RCS. If 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 the engine problem with the oscillation proves too expensive to fix, and an RCS system for compensation might be better, then that could be a potential route as well. But other than the oscillation, it did as it was performed, and it, it got to space. So, massive props to the team. Indeed. Congratulations to Virgin Orbit. And then we also touched a little bit about Spaceport America as well, and we segued a little bit from there into Exos Aerospace with the Sarge rocket. And that about covers it for the recap, really. Great. Thank you, Rich. So, since this episode is ultimately about SpaceX in the space tourism market, let's circle back to that. And they have actually only recently really entered the space tourism market. Although it has been an ambition of theirs for quite some time, they haven't really stepped into that field until just recently. Although they're not doing it alone. Unlike Blue Origin and Virgin Galactic, SpaceX is not directly selling seats aboard their Dragon capsule, at least not yet. Instead, they work through two brokers, Axiom Space and Space Adventures, which I recapped earlier. So, the Dragon capsule is capable of ferrying up to seven passengers, although so far they have only carried uh, four. Well, actually, they carried two, then four. And according to the plans released from Axiom Space and Space Adventures, it appears that they will continue with only four passengers at a time, at least for right now. In comparison, Blue Origin's new Shepard capsule can carry six passengers, same as Virgin Galactic Spaceship 2, plus two crew. So, on that topic of 
how many passengers each one of them can carry, let's also talk briefly about the interior room. So with the New Shepard capsule, it has an interior room of about 15 cubic meters or 530 cubic feet for those that are more empirically inclined, offering, quote, 10 times as much room as the Mercury capsule that carried Alan Shepard from which the rocket gets its namesake, end quote. In comparison, Spaceship Two has an even larger interior space at an estimated 19 cubic meters or 675 cubic feet, whereas the Dragon capsule is only about 10 cubic meters or 350 cubic feet. So seven passengers aboard a SpaceX Dragon capsule would be a pretty tight fit, and it's pretty easy to see why they're keeping it at only four for now. As for flight time, there are some pretty significant differences between the three launch providers, at least in terms of the initial flight. Blue Origin is only about 15 minutes of total flight time with around 5 minutes of microgravity, and the Virgin Galactic flight in total is about 2 to 3 hours, but also only has about 5 minutes in microgravity. But here is where SpaceX takes the lead. Their space tourism flight time could be anywhere from five days to perhaps a couple of weeks aboard the International Space Station, although this is not yet entirely clear. I think there are at least two kinds of missions. One mission was to go up to about 1,000 kilometers for a couple of days and then land back on Earth, and the other one is going to the ISS. Right. There's currently planned uh, just orbital missions, just to circle the Earth a few times uh, for a few days, and then uh, also some time spent aboard the International Space Station, which, in terms of costs, that one is probably going to be a lot more expensive, the International Space Station one, uh, considering that they're also going to have to pay for, effectively, room and board aboard a secondary craft. I think it's about around $30,000 per day to stay aboard ISS. That's what NASA charges, but it's really nothing compared to the launch price. Right, yes. Speaking of launch prices, Virgin Galactic has sold about 600 tickets to passengers at a price between $200,000 and $250,000 US dollars each, although this may come down in the not-too-distant future after uh, more and more passengers continue to buy uh, tickets. Blue Origin has stated that its ticket pricing is yet to be determined, but Jeff Bezos expects that they will price their flights on New Shepard comparable to competitors. In this case, I believe he's talking about Virgin Galactic. And here is where SpaceX is the... Well, the, the, the big money player on, on this field. Their seats are estimated to be somewhere in the $20 million uh, range, and that's in U.S. dollars, uh, for flights aboard the Dragon capsule. Now, it's as far as I can find, it's not exactly clear if that is just for the orbit around the Earth or if that is also including the International Space Station stay, although I think it would probably include the Space Station stay since that is a pretty pricey uh, cost there. And given that International Space Station, NASA in particular, has stated that they would accommodate passengers for, I think you said it was like about 30, 35,000 US dollars. That, uh, that sounds a little bit more on the ISS side of things, I think. 
And given that there are going to be four seats flying aboard the Dragon capsule, that comes to a possible price tag of about 80 million US dollars. And Miko, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe that the total cost of a Falcon 9 rocket and Dragon capsule, the full flight profile, is only about 50 million US. Is that correct? Well, the 50 million dollar tag is for commercial. Falcon 9 missions that doesn't include the capsule and internal price for new Falcon 9 flight is around 28 million for SpaceX but I would guess they will put some price on top of the rocket for using the Dragon capsule. So in any case really really expensive. (laughs) Indeed. So anyway so far regarding SpaceX we've only discuss the Dragon capsule, but that's not SpaceX's only option in this market. There is, of course, also Starship in the not-too-distant future. However, a lot more is known about Dragon, and Starship still has a lot of unknowns and speculation surrounding it. And also, Dragon is already human-certified, whereas Starship is not yet, and that might still be at least a few years away. But let's go ahead and talk about Starship for a moment, since at SpaceX's speed, it may indeed be joining the space tourism market not long from now. So, Starship will likely have an interior size even larger than the entire International Space Station, which is over 916 cubic meters, or over 32,000 cubic feet. With that much interior space, it is currently speculated that Starship could ferry up to 100 passengers at a time, split across seven decks, which would be about 2.2 meters tall each, or a little over seven feet. So let's go ahead and speculate a little bit about Starship, because that's a pretty interesting one. Miko, what do you think about this? Yeah, that would set a new low for the prices for space tourism. I mean, they could go down to tens of thousands. And let's still think about, is it space tourism if we get some Earth-to-Earth travel? That would be suborbital, and they could probably fit even more than 100 persons for a flight that takes about an hour. But for longer missions on orbit, the 100 sounds about right. Rich, anything to add on that? No. Not at the moment. <laughs> Not that I can think off the top of my head, anyway. <laughs> Alright, fair. So, one of the things that is going to be particularly interesting for SpaceX when it comes to Starship is that when you look at just how much work was involved to get the Dragon capsule human certified, that was just for four astronauts. And as we uh, discussed before the recording, uh, Richie even pointed out that uh, that was also for uh, for highly trained astronauts, whereas with the Starship, we're talking about about 100 just basically trained astronauts. So the certification to get that human rated, whew, I can't even imagine what they would, uh, what kind of hoops they would have to jump through on that. And here is the quote from Gwen Shotwell. I think she mentioned this about six months ago. She did say that the Dragon certification took about six years or from start to finish the capsule. And she did say that if they can't have the time for Starship, they are a failure. So what I hear from that is that she's actually looking to get Starship human certified in three years? Yeah. Woo! That's ambitious. And that's not Elon time, it's Gwen time. Yeah, that is that is some ambition. 
and they do think about sending the Japanese art mission around the moon, the Dear Moon project in 2023. Well, um, best of luck to the SpaceX engineers uh, for meeting that target. I, I hope they do meet it because that would mean that we would have an enormous new contender in the space tourism market. And like you said, that could pull prices down to something that actually would be pretty reasonably affordable for a lot more people. Yeah, you maybe wouldn't have to sell your house anymore. <laughs> it also largely depends on how quickly they can launch their ships. You know, how quickly they can recycle launches. Because the quicker they can get those launches up there, the more seats they can sell, and they're going to be reusing their hardware, which means the price is going to go down even more. So yeah, you you could probably, you know, take a weekend vacation to low Earth orbit. So what would you do? Would you go aboard a Blue Origin, Virgin Galactic, Dragon, or would you take your chances on a Starship, if money weren't an issue there? Me personally, just because I'm a big tech nerd, I would definitely want to see Starship. Because I've seen like the heads up displays on the Dragon and, and you know, the tech geek in me is like, oh, I just want to go and touch all the buttons. Yeah, I, I would have to pick Starship too. But since it does take a while, I wouldn't mind it riding SpaceX Dragon. See, I'm, I'm still kind of on the, uh, a, a little bit on the, the new Shepard hype train. Just because that one seems seems to be within my risk appetite, but we'll see where Starship is in the next few years, and I might uh, I might find myself uh, wanting to go that path instead. Plus, also cost is <laughs> certainly an issue for me, so um, that one would be undoubtedly a lot more affordable. So yeah, I could I could probably see myself aboard Starship. I mean, let's let's say, for instance, if the price of a ticket ended up being a thousand dollars, what would you say to that? I would say, um, hell yes, let's do it. <laughs> so, I mean, if it's if it's that low, then um, okay, it's it's uh, two hundred fifty times less than what it would cost to go aboard a uh, uh, new Shepard rocket. So, yeah. I'm assuming for certification purposes as well, you would also pay an extra premium, maybe, I don't know how it would work, maybe only the once, or maybe once every three or four flights you do, for like an extra training course on, you know, uh, evacuation procedures and what to do in certain cases if the the Starship is, is having an issue or whatever, because I would imagine to get certification for something like that, they would expect the people riding it to have some level of knowledge of what to do in case of an emergency. No no different than when you, whenever you board a plane and you have the, um, the passenger safety briefing at the beginning of the flight. Please pay attention to your flight attendants as they now will demonstrate the safety instructions which you can find in the seat in front of you. I bet there will be a couple of Boston Dynamics robots doing that. <laughs> so here I'd actually like to uh, take a quick topic sideline and mention that it's, it's worth noting that Blue Origin, Virgin Galactic, and SpaceX are actually not the only launch providers that could be providing the rockets and capsules for space tourism. Previously this was done almost exclusively by 
uh, Roscosmos aboard their Soyuz rockets and capsules, but they have since stopped doing that uh, since 2011 when the space shuttle was retired. But now that the U.S. will likely no longer be buying seats aboard Soyuz, they could perhaps reopen this to the public again to make up for those potential lost costs. But there's also another possible contender. Any guess who that is? A launch provider, you say? Yes, sir. Jaxa? Mm. Nope. What about you, Rich? Surely not NASA. No. Boeing. Oh, you mean with the Starliner? Mm. Yes, because Boeing has the Starliner capsule that, while it has unfortunately not yet had a fully successful test of the International Space Station, they will be reattempting an uncrewed flight to the ISS perhaps in late 2021, although I don't think a date has yet been uh, set for that. And if that is a success, they may begin ferrying uh, passengers, or rather, um, trained astronauts uh, sometime in 2022. And technically speaking, they are allowed to fly private passengers aboard Starliner 2. They have the same permission that uh, SpaceX has. So far, they've been pretty quiet about this option, but as NASA has stated that they would accommodate passengers aboard the International Space Station, and with Boeing's closest competitor, SpaceX, entering the private tourism market, it could be possible that Boeing may soon follow that too. They technically are allowed. I would expect them to drop the prices a bit. Yeah, they would... I, I could very well see it that they would be at least as costly as SpaceX, although probably a lot more. So in order to be competitive there, they would definitely need to make that uh, something that is a lot more affordable, or they would need to have some sort of other accommodations that would make them a lot more appealing than what SpaceX can offer. Yeah, I think their current prices for NASA are, I think it was either 90 or 95 million per seat, versus SpaceX is 55 million per seat. Right. So anyway, on that topic, let's circle back to SpaceX. So I don't know exactly when the first projected private flights aboard uh, Dragon capsule are supposed to be. I think that might be somewhere uh, later this year, somewhere maybe in Q4. Is that correct? Sounds about right. And I think that's the um, this, the uh, seats of, uh, uh, that were brokered by Axiom, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, there's also the Space Adventures. They announced, uh, I believe... Actually, yeah, this month, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, they put a video up announcing that they were going to be doing space tourism flights in partnership with the SpaceX Dragon capsule. Right, they're one of the two brokers uh, that uh, SpaceX is working with, although what I'm trying to, s to find is actually the earliest projected time when we might start seeing private, uh, uh, private citizens flying uh, flying into space again, and I mean, as far as I can tell, uh, split up between um, Virgin Galactic, Blue Origin, and SpaceX, it seems highly likely that's going to happen this year. It's just a question of who will be the first one. Watch this space, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. 
So speaking of when things will be launching, um, circling back to the two providers that are actually going to be doing stuff later this year with uh, all being well, of course. Uh, we're talking Axiom Space and Space Adventures. Now, we know of Space Adventures already because they used to do the Soyuz flights, right, Kage? Uh, that's correct. Yeah. So uh, they've actually just announced, uh, they, they uploaded a video actually to their YouTube that they were announcing uh, they were partnering with SpaceX and using their Dragon capsule to send, I think it was four private citizens into orbit around the Earth. And they've projected it for either Q4 2021 to Q1 2022. And then Axiom, they've announced their project to, I think it's sending a few folks to the ISS, If that is that right? Yeah, and they actually did release the crew list already. Oh, do you have that there? Uh, actually, um, one of our patrons, uh, Stinger NSW, uh, has that uh, listed for us. Thank you, sir. Much obliged. Indeed, thank you very much. The Axiom 1 mission, or AX-1 mission, will include four people. Commander will be Michael Lopez Alegria, who is a former NASA astronaut and Axiom Space VP. Then there's pilot Larry Connor, who is entrepreneur and non-profit activist investor. Then there's mission specialist Mark Patty, investor and philanthropist. And another mission specialist, Ethan Stipe, who is impact investor and philanthropist. And that's the first private crew that we've seen. It's a historical moment. Yeah, it seems that that's going to be the first private crew, at least the first one announced, uh, for SpaceX. That's um, that's pretty awesome. Well, best of luck, folks, and uh, yeah, Godspeed. <laughs> we actually have a couple of questions to take from our one of our recent staff members here, Warhawk. I don't know if you've seen that in the live chat. Uh, yeah, I see. So, uh, first, if you would like to join Warhawk and the rest of our patrons and listen to us when we record these episodes and ask us questions, uh, make sure to check us out on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash total space, and you can join us in our Discord. So, the first question that uh, Warhawk sent to us is, where will the private crew sleep? That is a good question. I don't know if anything has exactly been stated, although it really depends on the mission. If we're talking about the orbit, uh, just the orbital mission from SpaceX, then of course they'll be sleeping in the Dragon capsule. But if you're talking about the International Space Station missions, then I would imagine that they would have some sort of dedicated uh, crew quarters uh, for them. Well, even now, there is not enough space on ISS. Because I think it was the Crew Dragon Commander Mike Hopkins who is actually sleeping or was sleeping in the Dragon capsule before they made him a temporary sleeping quarters. So I would guess the sleeping quarters would be in the capsule they come in unless there's an, not a full crew on board ISS. Or they could always just sleep aboard one of the spare Soyuz because those are so roomy. Yeah. Nut makes a good point as well, actually. He mentions the first Axiom module. Um, does anybody know whether the first Axiom module that's going up includes sleeping quarters? Well, I think it's basically a crew quarter, so you could sleep there. Yeah, Axiom Hub 1 is crew quarters and research and manufacturing capability. 
Well, there you go. But yeah, the first module would be late, would be launched in 2024. So a few years away yet then. So yeah, the the question of where will they sleep is still very much valid. And I would I would hazard a guess at that point, Miko, as you were saying, um, you know, the the dragon capsule or perhaps uh, temporary sleeping quarters as they arranged. But I don't know how many of those they can set up on the ISS because space is quite a premium there. Yeah, and I think there's some number on the Russian side and some number on the American side. So yeah, good question, Warhawk. And uh, the next question he asks is, will Falcon Heavy ever be human certified, do you reckon? And this is a really good question because it begs the question of, should they bother if they're going at a breakneck speed with Starship? What what would be the advantages of human certifying the Falcon Heavy now and get going through that certification process and having to make amendments and changes to the system which could potentially have incurring costs further down the line you know what you know would there be any benefit to doing it now as opposed to just waiting for starship to come along i think it would beg the question about uh what would be the purpose of human certifying a uh, falcon heavy because the only real purpose that i could see for that would be to send uh human plus uh cargo payloads in the same mission uh, to, for example, uh, lunar orbits or the lunar surface. So possibly yes, but I don't think that that would really be on SpaceX's radar. So if the use case is human plus cargo, then the question becomes, is it cheaper to do a single mission launching humans plus cargo in the one mission using a Falcon Heavy, or is it cheaper to run the two separate missions? Not only the cost of the missions themselves, but also the cost of the process of human certifying the Falcon Heavy. Well, yeah, that has to be taken into account too. And if if there were any design changes required to in order to certify the Falcon Heavy for human spaceflight, I would say the only real chance of Falcon Heavy getting certified would be some big delay in Starship program or a total failure. Yeah, I agree with that. Sounds sounds pretty reasonable. So, anybody else listening in at the moment, uh, here's your chance to ask any questions. If you have any questions related to the episode, feel free to fire away. Uh, I'm currently looking at the live chat window right now. Wen hop. Yes. Isn't that the million dollar question right now? Wen hop indeed. That is. Actually, you know what? I'll take it. I'll take it. Wen hop. Let's see here. We're now on Saturday. We know they're not going to launch it over the weekend. We know they've got a couple of things to smooth out with the FAA. If I was to say when hot, and I was a betting man, I'd say Wednesday. Yeah, I, I don't know if I would take that bet or not, because um, according to an article recently published on The Verge, uh, a couple of, well, at least one spokesperson from the FAA, uh, said that uh, they were pretty upset with SpaceX because they uh, that uh, SpaceX had violated some part of their license that they have with the FAA with the SN8 test. Uh, they weren't clear about what part of that. So it could be possible that the FAA is like, no, nah, you didn't listen to us the first time. We're going to slow you down and make you do this point for point, detail by detail, the right way. So, 
And who knows? I mean, I, I want to say that you're right, that it could be Wednesday, but the FAA could also be, um, it could also apply extra scrutiny here since uh, there is a lot of trust that goes into this, that uh, with regulatory agencies, um, they, they do also establish a trust-based relationship with the uh, companies that they regulate, so a violation of that trust could uh, could push the FAA to um, slow them down a little bit. So it's anyone's guess, really. I'm not sure, um, but I don't know if I would take the Wednesday bet, but I am hopefully optimistic. What about you, Miko? Well, I hope it will be next week, but I wouldn't take the bet. But J.S. Snyder actually asked another question. How many people will fit in a single point-to-point starship? So we did touch that on a bit earlier, and I think there's been talk about fitting at least 400 people, which would lower the price for that down to thousands of dollars. I'm not sure about 400, but I have seen sources say the crew version will be able to accommodate up to 100 passengers. Um, but unless they've they've rearranged how they're planning on uh, designing the interior, then uh, that was the the latest quote that I managed to hear. Yeah, that's that's uh, pretty much in line with the information that I found. That um, given the interior space, uh, which is uh, as a reminder. Uh, over 916 cubic meters, or over 32,000 cubic feet. They are currently speculated to be able to ferry up to 100 passengers at a time, uh, split across seven decks. Um, but that could increase if they really pack people in like sardines. Um, it's it's hard to say, but I think, uh, at least right now, the, uh, the the current ballpark figure looks to be around 100. Also, you've got to remember the more people they try and fit in there, the more difficult it's going to get to try and human certify it, because it still has to be safe, even with all the people. Not only that, but also um, you have to take into consideration that if you look at, for example, uh, aircraft, it's not just people that they ferry, but it's also their cargo, their, uh, their luggage. So I... Sincerely doubt that SpaceX is only going to be sending people point to point with just themselves and the clothes on their bodies. They're probably also going to need to make at least some accommodations for uh, for luggage uh, for those uh, for those trips, and then also, especially when it comes to uh, space travel, uh, weight is a very serious concern. So. Uh, that might actually be the limiting factor that uh, in order to carry a certain amount of luggage plus a certain amount of people, let's say an average weight of um, up to 120, 130 kilograms per person plus uh, a few kilograms of luggage per person, that might restrict them to around 100. That's right, yeah, when you think of all the cargo that the passengers will be carrying as well, because assuming if you're commuting to work, you're going to be taking at least a briefcase or or some kind of personal hand luggage with you. Yeah, true. And then for people who are wanting to take longer trips, let's say uh, they're doing a international uh, starship flight from, I don't know, let's say from London to New York City, um, they're going to want to stay for a little while, so there's, uh, in, in an aircraft sense, uh, there's at least a carry-on, if not also a, uh, a checked bag. But yeah, great question. So, once again, 
thank you all for listening to Becoming Multiplanetary. I am Kage, one of your co-hosts for this show, and having joined me today are... I've been Rich LB, also co-host of Becoming Multiplanetary. We've had a lovely chat tonight about SpaceX and their contribution to the space tourism program that we're seeing take off so far. And also with us this week we've had... I've been Mikko, the host of Deep Dive Fridays. And if you like this kind of content, don't forget to check other shows. There's the Space Update and my Deep Dives. In the latest episode... I had Felix from What About It talking about sea launch platforms and SpaceX's plans with the oil rigs. It's about time in the episode now where I take a moment to thank all of our Patreon supporters. Uh, we really, really grateful for all of our supporters and the support they provide. Uh, so, as of right now, we have. Warhawk, we have Adrian Moisa, we have Jordan Wright, also known as the Angry Astronaut, we have Howard Walker, we have Sammy Oscuro, also known as Stingaround SW, we have What About It, we have Jishwan and Sebastian, we have Gio Pagliari, we have Framrick, we have Susie R, and we have Marco. Thank you all for your continued support. We're really appreciative of it here at Total Space. As Rich stated, this has been the third part of our series about space tourism in the near future. If you liked what you heard, you can also check out the first two episodes at totalspace.net, our new website, or you can also check us out on YouTube at youtube.com slash totalspace. And in addition to that, also make sure to check us out on social media platforms. You can find us on Twitter at twitter.com slash totalspacenet. And thank you all for joining us, and we will see you all next time.